It's good to be with you again this morning. Um, Pastor Joe, I was totally with you regarding, like, maybe even considering coming to watch the competitive softball game until you said you were in it. <laughs> and I just realized competitive is subjective. Anyway, <laughs> just kidding. All right. Um, all right, I'm going to hear it. All right. Um, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, I have... Actually, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is David. If you are first time visiting us, I'm not the lead pastor. Pastor Joe is. And uh, we just want to welcome you. And uh, I hope that you would open your hearts um, to hearing the word of God. I do want to say one thing before we pray. Um, thank you, Jeff and Pastor Joe, for your words this morning. I, I really appreciate the fact that we have people of God who listen to the spirit of God um, working and serving the Lord in this church. Uh, because the things that I have on my heart, that God's given to me on my heart, were the things that were echoed this morning. And I'm just so encouraged to uh, be working with people who are in tune with God and, and uh, that God is orchestrating and God desires to speak to your heart and my heart and God desires to transform you and God desires to transform my life. Um, I will say this one preliminary remark that um, more and more, uh, as I'm trying to listen and to hear what God is saying um, and kind of reflecting on what the issues of my heart and my life is and, and what God is trying to do through my life, the more I keep hearing from God that uh, we, are, we are people who are passing through, okay? This is not our permanent home. This world is not our permanent home. We are people belonging to Jesus. We are people belonging to the family of God. Uh, we have an eternal destination. And what we're experiencing and living today is just temporary. And, um, you know, we talk about, you know, there's all kinds of issues with immigration and stuff like that in the political realm today. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but if you, if you become a, if you're actually in the process of becoming a citizen of the United States, uh, when you actually apply for permanent residency, it actually says, like, permanent residency card on your card on your way to the interview for the citizenship. I don't know if you knew that. Um, every time I, I think about that, I go, we're not permanent residents here. And that's really a major part of our problem and our challenge of living for Jesus today because we think somehow that we need to get everything out of this world in terms of comfort, pleasure, whatever it is that we think that we need. We think somehow that we're supposed to make the best and most out of everything here on earth. But the fact is our life, it says in scripture, appears for just a moment. It's like a mist that appears and disappears. And this time that we have that on earth is very short. How many of you know what I'm talking about? No? Okay, I'm 41 now. Okay, and I can't believe I'm 41. My wife and I and I look at each other all the time and go, where did the time go? I can only imagine that 10 years from now we would be saying the same thing. The truth of the matter is time flies. This is just going so fast. And um, I need to be reminded every day that I'm, I'm a person belonging to the family of Jesus Christ. If you're first time here and you don't know what it means to belong to the family of Jesus Christ, 
I encourage you to open your heart today and, and uh, listen for God's uh, beckoning call of your heart and of your life to belong to him. And uh, I just want us to re be reminded of that and keep that in perspective when we talk about um, this message today. And by the way, Pastor Joe, thank you so much for uh, giving me the longest passage of judges to preach on and one of the most difficult and theologically challenging passages of all of Scripture. I'm just, just saying, Pastor Joe. Okay, next time you give me a Scripture to, to preach, I'm not going to say yes until I actually take a look at it. <laughs> all right, all right uh, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer and we'll get to the Word. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that though we were not deserving, that in your perfect love, though we were and we are unfit for your grace and for what you have for our lives, yet in your grace, in your love, you bestow, you bestow generosity and, and love and grace and mercy upon our lives. And we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that, that we can come boldly before you, that, that we don't have to shy away because of our sinful nature or because of our sin, but we can come to you, Lord God, directly to you because of what Jesus has done. We thank you for your grace. And uh, Lord God, as we talk about idolatry and different kinds of things that the Israelites struggled with, I pray that you remind us in this moment, in this time, as we're listening to your word, that you would remind us of your love, that you're a jealous God, that you're a God who doesn't share glory. You don't, you, don't, you don't want our hearts to be divided. You want wholehearted devotion because that's the way you love us first, Lord God. And it's because of your love that, that we're able to love you, Lord Jesus. And so I thank you, Lord God, for your love. I pray that you would enlighten us and and pierce our hearts today and, and help us to draw near to you today, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Judges chapter 10. And uh, I'm going to read from Judges chapter 10 to Judges chapter 12, verse 7. I'm just kidding. We're not going to read two chapters. But I am going to go through um, Judges chapter 10. Uh, kind of verse by verse, and then I'm going to just share with you what happened in chapter 11 as a narrative to understand what's happening with the Israelites. Okay, would that be okay? Uh, you have no choice. Okay, that's the way we're going to go. All right, Judges chapter 10, verse 6 through 7, it says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Again. They served the Baals. And the Ashtoreths, and the God of Aram, the God of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He became angry with them, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites. We're going to pause there for a, for a moment, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, how many of you, if you've been around the church a little bit, you look at the Israelites and go, again. Again, God shows his glory. God shows how what a powerful God he is. God delivers them. And then 
A few years later, Israelites begin to turn towards other gods and worship of other idols and worship of other images. And then God has to come and remind them over and over again. And there's a vicious cycle, right? And uh, for sometimes, when, like when we're looking at the story of the Israelites, like when we're looking at it, we're like, what's wrong with you? Can't you like get it together? But I want you to know today that um, this is really a reflection of our lives. And sometimes we are so hard on the Israelites. But if we take a look at ourselves and our hearts and the way we walk with God and when we journey with God, we sometimes are totally surrendered, yet sometimes our hearts are totally abandoned for the things of this world. And we are totally compromised. And then we come and repent and we go back and... We have a vicious cycle going on. There's a couple of things I want you to understand about idols today, okay, and, and worship of other gods. First of all, it's very subtle how we get to this drastic point. It's very gradual. It doesn't just happen overnight. I imagine the Israelites did not overnight after victories they experienced with Gideon and victories they've experienced, you know, even going back in their history of all of the experiences that they've encountered God's glory and his victory in their lives, they didn't just all of a sudden wake up one day and say, I'm going to bow down and worship and desire the things that are, you know, the gods and idols of the Ammonites and the Philistines. I'm just going to do that. In the same way, you don't just wake up one day and go, you know what, I'm going to you know, love the things of this world. I'm going to let that thing capture my heart. And I, it just doesn't happen that way. You know, uh, my wife and I grew up um, going to a camp in Hebron, in the Poconos. And, you know, I, at different times. I know that she used to go to the same camp. I used to, used to go when we were teenagers and so forth. We, we never went at the same time. But I know that she has experience at the Delaware River Gap. How many of you know what the Delaware River Gap is? Okay. It's a very slow-moving, very chill river, okay? And, and uh, I mean, if you, you know, even, even Eli can, our, my four-year-old son can go inside and swim, okay, and, and be fine. But one time, there was, there was tremendous rain the night before, and, you know, I'm a pretty good swimmer, and I decided to go for a swim, and it swept me down without me notice. I'm, I'm just enjoying myself, and it just kept it like pushing me down the current. I want us to know that this is how the world and the things that Satan and the evil one, he doesn't just, you know, put you all of a sudden from point A to point B. He gradually moves you inch at a time, slowly. As soon as there's a crack, there's an opening, Satan uses those cracks to come in, entice you, and continue to move you down the path that you don't want to go. And by the time you arrive there, you, don't, you didn't realize how much you desire that thing or that person or that, you know, that endeavor or that dream that you had. You, didn't, you don't realize how much that has captivated your heart. It's the same with the Israelites. It has captivated their hearts and they have turned away from Almighty God Yahweh. How could that be? But it's so easy to move along. What are idols, I ask you, okay? Romans chapter 1, verse 23. It's not on the screen. Verse 25 says this. Verse 23, verse 24, verse 25 of Romans chapter 1 says, And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images 
made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over. Similar language, right? God kind of said in verse 7, he became angry with them and he sold them off to the Philistines and Ammonites. Very similar language. Verse 24 in Romans chapter 1 said, Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Now, this sinful desire in verse 24, I want you to know this. Like, um, I know you've heard this before from pastors. Idols are not just images or things that you bow down to, right? Um, I want to make clear about something about idolatry. When the scripture talks about desire, sinful desires, it's not just talking about like all kinds of evil and immoral things. It's talking about anything that you over-desire. The word is epitumia. Epitumia is desire and every, it's, it's over. Epi is over. Anything that you over-desire. So your children are good. They're the children of God. God gave them to you. They're a wonderful gift from God. But if you over-desire or if you have over-focus on your children and they become your world and you actually begin to love them and they begin to satisfy your needs versus God satisfying your heart because your heart is only meant for God in that way and yet you look to your children as, the, as your hope for the future, uh, you know, all the things that you haven't accomplished that you want your kids to accomplish, then you begin to focus on your children and, and you have over-desire for their success because their success means your success and you have all these kinds of emphasis on your children, that can be idolatry in the eyes of God. You're like, children can be, yes, your children can be idols in your heart. It could be also jobs, your careers. Maybe your identity is associated with your jobs. Maybe your identity is associated with the rank in your job. And so therefore, you desire to continually move ahead. Or even maybe your job is so important to you that you will do whatever it takes to keep your position, even if you know that there's sometimes compromising situations that God says to you, that's not what I want from you, yet we ignore God and continue to do what we need to do to keep that position. I want you to know that even good things like jobs, children, family, even vacations, pleasures, the things that God, God doesn't want us just to keep working. God wants us to have vacations, but, you know, sometimes we're consumed with it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's vacation season, all right? My, when I used to live in New York City with my family, we used to get paid the big bucks, so we used to go to a a foreign country every year, and sometimes it would consume us. Like, where are we going to go this year? <laughs> okay, and, uh, and we're like, well, we can't go there because, no, 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 we can make it work. <laughs> okay, and all of a sudden you begin to cons be consumed by it. Anything that we have over-desires for, the scripture says this is idolatry. This is actually going away from God. Here's the interesting thing about idolatry. Let's read on, and, uh, on chapter 10, verse 8 through 10. Okay, it says, we just read in verse 7 that he sold them into the hands of Philistines and the Ammonites. And verse 8 of chapter 10 says that 
that year, um, so that they would be shattered and crushed. It says, for 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Here's what I want to share with you today, that idolatry or over-desire, I wish it just ended there. Okay, I desire for something, I get it, or I strive for it, and it ends there. But it doesn't end there. James chapter 1, verse 14, talks about how it first starts with desire. Okay, you desire something, and it actually conceives Okay, that's the crazy thing. James chapter 1. When you desire something, it actually conceives something. And then the conceiving of that leads to sin, action. Okay, so it'd be like this. If you see something that you like and you begin to have over-desire and you allow it to linger, okay, it doesn't just end there. That's why it's so important for people who are walking with Jesus and walking with the Spirit that we kill it there. Because if we don't surrender those things in the presence of the living God, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, what happens is it always conceives. It doesn't just stays. It's like, you know, I always, I don't know, uh, uh, just recently there, a whole bunch of flies were in, in, our, in our garage. Okay, a whole bunch of flies, like big ones. And we thought that it's because we left garbage out. No, it wasn't. My, my daughter, after her tennis season, left a wet towel in her bag. And the flies laid eggs in it, okay, and, I mean, flies this big, and eventually it gave birth, okay, and, and released giant flies in our garage. I want you to know that desires, over-desires for the things of this world doesn't just stay like those desires in your heart. It always conceives, and it always wants to move you to action, and that action becomes sin, and here's the interesting part. It says the sin, okay, so the desire leads to conceiving, and the conceiving leads to sin, but the sin leads to death. It always has consequences. It's not like God is not saying to turn away from your idols because he has nothing better to do, because God knows what's best for you because he created you to be intimate with you, to be intimate and be in loving relationship with us. God knows how we are made, and God knows that we are not made for those things. And when we continue to, to be driven by those things and continue to live our lives that way, it always leads to consequences. It always leads to destruction. It always leads to death. And this is the part that we often forget. And I'm telling you, the Israelites, I'm sure they've forgotten over and over and over again that if they bow down to these idols, if they bow down to these gods, that eventually the consequences are that they will be turned over and that they would be. It says, you know, the, for the first verse that we read, it says, it says, serving them. It's not even about worshiping them in verse 6. It says they're serving these gods and idols of the, you know, the Baal or the Ammonites or Philip. They're actually serving them. There are consequences to it. The other thing I want to talk to you about consequences, you know how many people, how many people, how many of you believe that there is free will for us? Okay, I know some of you are like, oh, I'm not sure theologically what that means. <laughs> okay, um, all right, that's okay. All right, but, but I will tell you this. 
I think there's less than you think. Because we're always either enslaved by the things of this world or we are a bond slave to Christ, a servant of Christ. We're either serving the things of this world or we're serving Jesus Christ. Either or. There's never a neutral ground. So let me ask you this. Are you a bond slave and am I a bond slave, a servant of the living God, living according to his purposes? And if the answer is no, I guarantee it that you are a slave to the things of this world. You may think that that's your choice, but I'm just telling you once you begin to meddle with those things and once you begin to play with those things and once you begin to desire those things, that thing actually begins to control you and you're going to be actually serving that very thing that you have over desire for. Now you're no longer in control. That actually has control over you. And it's actually going to make you do things that you don't want to do, do or you thought you would never do in your life. But it's going to make you do it. Because that's our flesh. And that's what, God, that's what Satan does with our lives to lead us down that path. And so idolatry always leads to consequences. Let's take a look at Judges chapter 10. Verse 11 through 14, it says this, the Lord replied, okay, here's the thing. I'm sorry, let's go back to Judges chapter 10, verse 10. It says that the Israelites cried out to the Lord. We have sinned against you, forsaking, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. It sounds like there's repentance here, right? It sounds like there's seeking God. But it's interesting here in verse 11 through 14, that's not the case. That's not what happens. The Lord replied, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you and you cried to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. You're like, what's going on here? I thought God is faithful to forgive when you call on his name. But you see what was happening here is that the Israelites were not interested in a heart change. They were just interested in a change of circumstances. Okay, they were asking God, okay, God, okay, we get it. You're the God, so can you just change this circumstance all right can you relieve the oppression and pain that i'm experiencing can you can you do that that's what the israelites were, were were doing and how many of you know god god knows god knows what's on your heart god knows what's in your mind you can't hide from god amen are you with me you can't hide from god sees all things in my own life i've had times in my life where I would, I would ask God, can you, God, can you just change this or can you do this for me and can you do that for me? Um, sometimes God would answer. Sometimes God would not answer, okay? And sometimes I ask for things I know he doesn't want. You know what I mean? Is it just me again? I'm being vulnerable with you. Okay, there's a relationship here. I want you to nod your head and say, yes, I do that too, so that it, it doesn't make me feel like I'm the only sinner in the room. Okay, <laughs> all right, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, I, I'm turning to God and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm asking for some things, you know, but deep inside the motives are not right. And sometimes I know it 
And sometimes I don't know it. And sometimes knowing my motive is not right, I'm just hoping that God would listen, right? This is kind of what was going on here. That without any heart transformation, they were asking God to change the circumstance. But I want you to know today that God is not firm, foremost primarily concerned with changing your situation and your circumstances. God is primarily concerned with transforming your life and my life to the image of Jesus Christ. We've heard over and over again, even, even Caitlin, one of the worship leaders, shared a couple of weeks ago about Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we quote this scripture all the time, how God works all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. God works all things for the good. So therefore, if I'm the Israelites and I'm calling out to God and say, God, can you relieve us from the oppression of our enemies? Why wouldn't God want to do that? But God doesn't want to do that because God's actually more interested in the hearts of the Israelites. And if you read that scripture further down after verse 28 of Romans chapter 8, that God works all things for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. If you look at one more scripture down, it says, because he knows and he has fixed a plan for you to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Nobody wants to read that. Because that good in chapter 8, verse 28, that good that God works all things for the good is not talking about your circumstances. Because God knows that this time, this earth, that this period of time we're living on this earth is temporary. Our circumstances are temporary. But there are things that matter for eternity that God is interested in. You see, our perspective and our vision is so short-sighted. God's vision is eternal. And so therefore, the things that God is doing and working in your life and my life, there's a higher purpose than we think there is. I know that there have been all kinds of crazy things that happened in my life. I could go list over and over again. If I were to kind of tell you from our kids being sick to accidents to all kinds of things, you would be like, does God really love you? I mean, sometimes, like, recently, if I, I've asked that question, like, God, do you really love me? Like, what's going on in my life? Like, every turn is, like, it's so hard and laborious and, and grueling. And, and what are you doing? You know, and I see some of my neighbors, and I, you know, they're like, everything's going well for them. And, you know, they just pray a little here, pray a little there, and boom, you know, everything happens for them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That's what it feels like. That God, are you a God who is benevolent, who is good according to scriptures? And yet I see the circumstances of my, my life, and it's just not true. But that's because I'm seeing it from a temporary vision and a temporary perspective. When we see it from God's perspective and God's vision I know that he is a good God working in me to transform my heart to make an impact for the kingdom in eternity God is at work in your heart and God's interested in transforming your heart God is interested in conforming your heart to the image of Jesus Christ God is interested in transforming you to be able to be used by God my wife will be the first to tell you David, if I had known you, who you really were, when I married you, I would have never married you. And all I can say to that is, it's true. <laughs> and I didn't even know. 
<laughs> okay? I didn't even know how crazy I was. I didn't know how prideful, arrogant, and crazy I was. But through the circumstances of my life, God places the right people around me, shapes me as iron sharpens iron, utilizes the circumstances and situations to do a work in my life. And you can ask my wife after, I've changed a lot. And that's by the grace of God. Because he desires to change you and to me and me from the inside out. He's not just interested in behavioral modification. He wants you to change. He wants to transform your life from the inside out. Because behavioral modification leads to religious pride. Because if you think that you can somehow conjure yourself and put enough effort to do the right things... It always creates religious pride and legalism that leads to destruction and death. But when you realize in the hands of God that you're being transformed and changed by the grace of God, then you know that it is only by the grace of God, that it is only by His mercy that God is using all circumstances to change my life. Amen? It says in Judges chapter 10, verse 15 through 16, let's move on. But the Israelites said to the Lord, I know Pastor Joe is getting nervous because I haven't even gotten to chapter 10. Don't worry, Pastor Joe. I'm going to get there. <laughs> Roman, um, Judges chapter 10, verse 15 through 16. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. And here's the interesting part. Here's this. They began to get, they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. Now there's some scholarly argument about if this repentance was genuine or not. But all I know is that God could not bear their misery any longer as they got rid of their idols and false gods and began to serve Yahweh. How many of you know that God is a gracious God? Whenever we turn from our ways and turn to Him, He is faithful to forgive our sins, forgive our unrighteousness, and do a continual work in our lives. I thank God every day that no matter how many times I go through this vicious cycle, over and over again, of walking with God than walking for the world, walking for God, walking for myself. God is faithful when you come into the presence of God and acknowledge Him as Yahweh and desire to serve Him and confess our sins and turn from our wicked ways. God is faithful to intervene in your life and in my life. Amen. I don't have much time, so I'm going to talk to you and tell you the story of Jephthah. Okay, what happened is this is the circumstance, this is the situation. God could not bear the misery of the Israelites any longer. So what does God always do in these circumstances? God raises up someone. But it's very clear here in Scripture, if you look at chapter 11 and read through, and I encourage you to do that when you, when you get a chance because there's some interesting, you think some of the, you know, the dramas on TVs are, are fun. You think, I'm, I'm telling you, there's some interesting drama happening in chapter 11. So I encourage you to read that. I'm going to tell you just glimpses of that real quick. 
God always raises up leaders to deliver the Israelites from oppression when the Israelites turn towards God. So this case is no different. What God does is he raises up someone called Jephthah in chapter 11. But interestingly, it's not very clear in the way that Gideon was raised up and other judges were raised up. It's not very clear if God had his hand upon every aspect of raising up Jephthah. Here's, here's, what, here's what I mean, okay. Jephthah was a son of a prostitute. His father was Gilead, okay. Now, we're not sure if the prostitute was an Israelite or a Canaanite. Many people say that prostitute was most likely a Canaanite. Well, he's, if that's the case, then we're not really sure whose son he really is, right? If he's a son of a prostitute. It's not like you can go to, Ma, Ma, what is, what's that show? Mari Paul, I don't know. And DNA, DNA testing, you can't do that. I don't even know what his name is. Okay, it's not available during that time. We don't know. But all we know is that he was actually thrown out from his tribe as an outcast because his brothers and brothers did not want to share his inherit, their inheritance with Jephthah. So they obviously not, not being sure of, of his lineage and all of those kind of complications. He's like the outcast of the outcast, right? The prostitute's son. So they actually shun him and they ostracize from him from society. And he actually uh, becomes like a leader of worthless people. Like meaning, you get what I'm saying, marginalized people who have nowhere to go. They band it together and they rob people. They survive. And he became a mighty kind of strong fighter. So the Israelites, in the midst of this battle that they have to face against the Ammonites, they turn to Jephthah and ask him to lead their army against the oppressed, oppressing nations. Think about that, right? It's crazy. God, the only, I will say this. This is the only thing I would say about that. God always, remember I told you before, God always uses outcasts, people that you wouldn't think of that would, could be used by God. God, God just does that in his grace and his mercy. And so Jephthah, Jephthah actually leads after trying negotiations with the Ammonites. They couldn't really come to a resolution. So Jephthah actually leads the army and defeats the Ammonites. But here's the crazy part. In order for him to assure his victory, let's read in Judges chapter 11. Verses 29 to verse 31. Okay, verse 29 to 30. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came to Jephthah. He crossed Gilead. Remember the battle, right? And uh, Gilead and Manasseh passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Here's the vow that people have been talking about from centuries. He made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands... Whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Dumb, dumb idea. Okay, how do you know who's going to come out of the house? Judges 11.32 says, Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gave them into his hands. So he won. Now he's coming back home. Judges 11, 34 through 35 says, When Jephthah, Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, 
Who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sounds of timbrels. She was an only child. Okay. Uh, he was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. I, I wanted to read that even though I don't have time because it's a very, very famous portion of scripture that has been talked out for a long time. The reason for that is he actually goes through with it. We're not, we're not sure exactly how he goes through it with it, but he actually goes through with sacrificing, according to scripture, his own daughter. So some of you, like initially when I read this, I was like, that's sick, number one. Number two, does it, does it mean like he has that kind of devotion to God that he would do that? Um, no. What happened is, remember when the Israelites for years, they were worshiping other idols and other images? Here's what happens when you actually penetrate and the, like the world and you actually intercept what happens is the thoughts and paganistic ideas world's values and all of these others actually penetrates your mind penetrates your heart and it actually programs you to believe that certain things that god detests that you think it's okay to do do you know that here in in um, america today churches all around do you know that we have worldly practices that have infiltrated our churches that we think it's totally okay human sacrifice was detestable to god this kind of vow was detestable to god so there are two things i can learn from this one when you engage in the things that remember the consequences that i talked to you about right remember the consequence when you allow your over desire to be you know to conceive sin it leads to destruction and death it actually leads us to begin to think and desire things and believe things that are not of God. And even though when we are worshiping and we're seeking God, somehow these things of this world have infiltrated our lives. That's why it's so important for us to keep watch, keep alert, keep in the word of God, keep in the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we do not allow the paganistic thinking or worldly views to infiltrate our lives. This is what happened to Jephthah. Secondly, what, you, you, what we can take away from this is that Jephthah thinks that somehow his pious devotion will get the victory. I want you to know that this kind of sick understanding has infiltrated our churches. We think that somehow if we could just do this enough or if we can just do that enough, that somehow God will move in this way. So it's not God reigning upon our lives it's by our works we're controlling god are you with me so we hear this from all the time from churches nowadays you can't outgive god when they're talking about offering if you give god will bless you what does that mean if you give god will bless you what does that mean anyway if you give god isn't okay i'm giving so that i'm going to control the blessing isn't that what we're talking about? I want you to know that there is a huge difference between works-based, okay, spiritual life versus grace-based spiritual walk. In all of our lives, nothing we do can earn the grace and love of God. God gives it to us freely. He is generous God. 
And in His grace, we respond with our hearts the way He loves us. We love Him. And in that relationship, God begins to transform our lives into His image in His grace. So here's the thing. A lot of people think this. We're saved by grace, but we're sanctified by works. I know we don't believe that, but we live like that. Are you with me? We're saved by grace, but we're sanctified by works. No, even your sanctification, the conforming of your heart, comes by the grace of God. So any good in me brings glory back to Jesus. Amen? I want to wrap this up by saying this. I believe that so many things of this world has captured believers' hearts. People who have come to know Jesus Christ and the grace. I believe that Jesus is better than life. You see, the problem isn't, okay, our efforts or all of those things. The problem is we don't realize that God is just better than the things of this world. That God is more beautiful than the things in this world. How many of you know, like my, when I take my kid to a toy store and he's, like, he's always reaching for that $9 Minecraft little toy. I'm like, I know it takes two cents to make that and I'm paying $9 for it. But, so if I'm going to pay $9, I want at least more plastic, right? So I, I usually tell him, okay, if I tell him to let go, he won't let go. So what I do is I actually have to find that value and I actually present it to him. You see this big toy, you can have it. As soon as I show it to him, he lets go, right? The problem of why we can't let go of the things of this world isn't our efforts or we should. It's because we have not come and encountered the beauty and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you come to know who he truly is, there is nothing better in life. Why would we hold on to the things of this world? Why would we think that our position, our reputation is better than being obedient to Jesus Christ? Why would we think that anything else in this world, driving a nice car, having a nice home, you can preach to the cows come home, not to desire those things, but that's not going to happen. The only way we're going to let go of these things is to come and encounter the glory of God. Amen? When you encounter the glory of God, you can surrender. You can't surrender by your efforts. You can't surrender by your own might. You only can surrender when you encounter the glory of God. Would you stand with me and bow your heads? I'm going to ask Vinny to come up right now. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I want you to take a moment right now. and I know that God desires to reveal himself to you. Remember I told you that when you turn towards him, he will be faithful to show up. Maybe you don't even know certain things captured your heart. Maybe you don't even realize that some things has taken a hold in your heart. Maybe there are things that in your life that you started to desire just a little bit at a time. And all of a sudden now you're consumed with it. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a new house. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's your self-worth. All of these things. 
I don't know what you're struggling with today, but God desires to release you of the bondage of slavery, of the things of this world, and God desires to liberate you today and to come into His presence and intimacy with God, His glory, His beauty, His perfect love that satisfies. If this is you today, would you place your hand on your heart? And I want you to just come to God and just take a moment to pray and just say, Lord, I surrender to you, Lord Jesus. I surrender to you, Lord Jesus. I surrender to you. I surrender to you right now, Lord Jesus. I surrender to you. And as you're saying that, would you say to God, God, I want you more than anything else in, that li in this life. I want to love you more than anything else in this I love you, Lord. Would you say that? I love you, Lord. I want more of you in my life. I want you in my life. I surrender it all to you, Lord Jesus. I surrender it all to you, Lord Jesus. Let's just take a moment just to be in the presence of God right now. Whatever the Lord is leading you to pray, would you do that? I love you, Lord Jesus. You're better than life, oh God. There's nothing and nowhere we'd rather be than in your presence, Lord God. We don't want to desire anything of this world because it's futile, Lord God. It leads, Lord God, it leads to destruction. It leads to all kinds of issues. But Lord God, in you, to walk with you, we find, we find true life. Oh, hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Lead us in this moment. May your presence capture our hearts this morning. Oh, Holy Spirit, come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come, Lord God, and stir our hearts for more of you this morning, Lord Jesus. We exalt you, Lord God. We exalt you, Lord God. Let me close in prayer for you. Lord God, we thank you that it's your grace that saved us. We thank you that we can liber be liberated by the bond of slavery from this world, that we can live the real life that you have planned for us. We thank you that you're transforming us. But I pray that ultimately and most importantly today, help us to experience your beauty and to fall in love with you more and more, that the things of this world will become shadows in the light of you. We love you, we exalt you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap offering this morning. He is good. Amen. I want you to not forget your orange cards. Please fill those out and uh, put them in the baskets on, the, on your way out. The Lord bless you as you go.